we've been talking over the last few weeks about imperfect disciples because uh, I don't know about you, you know, Christ calls us to be disciples, but, but I'm not perfect. How about you? All right? Now, I know some of you be like, well, you know, I'm pretty darn close. No, 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 nobody. Nobody is perfect. And so I started thinking about the disciples in the Bible. How did they become disciples? He, he, you do realize that Jesus picked like, uh, I, I don't know, like he went down an alley street and picked up some of the roughest people to be his disciples, right? He picked up some of the people that, that were making boneheaded mistakes and, and all these choices, and he called them to be disciples. So if you ever think that you're too far gone, think again, because he's calling us into this thing of discipleship, a visible, verbal follower of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not discounting salvation. I'm going to make an assumption, and I've said this for a couple weeks. I'm going to make an assumption, which right now that we're saved, we've given our heart to Jesus. When that happens, he calls us to discipleship, which is continually walking and seeking the Lord in our relationship. So we've talked about a number of things. And today what I want to talk to you about is shameless confession. I gave it that title, and then after we printed it, I'm like, Maybe that wasn't the best title. I don't know. They're like, you know, ooh, what's he going to talk about this Sunday, right? But what I mean by this is how important our words are in declaring who we are in Jesus Christ. Your words are very important. Do you agree with that? Amen? Okay. I'm excited. I've shared this story with you before, but it was 1991, maybe two, that my wife cooked me chili. You remember this story? And she cooked that chili... And she said it before me as a new bride, I tasted the chili and the words that came out of my face said, this isn't like my mom's chili, to which I never had chili again for two to three years. So I'm excited for the chili cook-off today. You know what I'm saying? Now she has made me chili since then. But my words, though the intent of my heart wasn't trying to be mean or malice or anything like that. My words are very important, and our words when it comes to discipleship is very important. Being a believer is extremely important. Being saved is important, but, but we have to make sure that are you the kind of, kind of Christian, and only you can answer this, are you the kind of Christian that's just kind of like, I'm just trying to kind of check the box and sit in the pew and do the thing, or are you at this place where you are not afraid to confess him as your Lord and Savior? And that's what we're going to talk about today. So in your outlines, in your bulletin, there's an outline. And I put down at the bottom, he rescues us in three ways. I'm going to get to that. But I wanted to just let you know, I want to take a few minutes and talk about what this means, why confession is so important. Um, And what we mean by confession. So in Matthew chapter 10, it tells us that Jesus is talking to his disciples. And, you know, he takes some time and he says, a disciple is not above his teacher, you know, nor is a servant above his master. And then right down at verse 27, he says, whatever I tell you in the dark, do you remember what it says? Speak in the what? Light. Speak it in the light. What you hear in the ear, preach from the housetops, or some translations say rooftops. And do not fear those who can kill the body, uh, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, when it says that you're to fear him, he's not talking about a Halloween Freddy Krueger type of feel. Uh, You know, he says, don't be afraid like that, like you're scared of God. He says, have an awe, a respect for God. And so he goes on to say, "Are, are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs on your head are all numbered. 
Do not fear, therefore. You are more of more value than the sparrows. Now, a lot of times people are like, why did he put that in there about the hairs on our head? Or for some of us, the lack of them, right? You know? What's he saying? He's saying, I'm so particular and specific. I, am so, I know you so well I, I, from the inside out. I could even count the numbers on, uh, of hairs that you have on your head. He says, I'm, I'm a personal God. So he says in verse 32, therefore, and this is where the meat of it gets he, after he tells the disciples this, therefore, whoever confesses me before men, I will confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But, don't you always love it when there's a but in the Bible? Uh, but, or when somebody comes and talks to you and says, hey, you're doing great. I love this. That's great. But, and he says right here, whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Now that's good and that's bad, right? That's good news and bad news. Because if you're a disciple of Christ, if you're following Christ, that's good news because you've got somebody who has not only saved you, but is going to deliver you, is going to rescue you. But if you cannot confess him as your Lord and Savior, you ultimately are denying him. And he says, then I will deny you before my Father who's in heaven. And a lot of times people think, well, that's not a big deal, you know, whatever, I've got time. Uh, do you? You know, nobody knows how much time we have. Nobody knows the expiration date of when this life will be over, but I can give you 100% guarantee it will come to an end and we will stand before the Father and the question will be, could we confess him as Lord and Savior of our life? Not just confessing as in, I said the words, but it becomes a part of who we are. You know, it's in our walk with Christ. So this is what he's talking to, not a group of unbelievers or a church like he's a guest speaker. He was speaking to his disciples and he's speaking to you and me today. Because we are his disciples, we are his followers. And he said, whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. You see, he says, confess it. Confession is very important. And, and, and he says that if you're afraid to confess me in front of people, I'll be afraid, well, he won't be afraid, but he says, I will not confess you in front of my father. Confession is very important. Now, having said that, that doesn't mean that you need to leave this building and start walking up and down Main Street telling everybody, I'm a believer, okay? Hey, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I just want you to know, Lord and Savior, you do that up and down Main Street, you're going to get the cops called on you, okay? So I'm not saying be weird about it. I'm saying let it be some, become something that's settled in your heart. I'm a believer. I'm saved by grace through faith. Not that of myself. It was all about Jesus. But now as a disciple... I'm going to confess him as my Lord and Savior. You know, there's people that uh, I, I meet a lot that don't know I'm a pastor. And eventually when they, they ask the question, you know, well, are, are you a Christian? Yes. Yes, I'm a Christian. I'm not afraid to confess that. And he's saying, don't be afraid to, to do that. Don't be a, 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 a secret agent, a CIA Christian, you know, trying to hide this and hide that. He says, let it become something that you can boldly proclaim because we live in a world today where there's no shame, all right? You, you know what I mean by that. Um, there used to be a time, in case you don't, there used to be a time when people uh, didn't want you to know their stuff, right? You know, I, I don't want them to know what's going on in my life. Well, we keep it hidden because we were too ashamed to acknowledge it. But today, we have people constantly confessing everything, right? Right? I'm this, I'm that. I'm not even going to get on my soapbox 
and, and start talking about it, but we're not afraid to say what we're doing, why we're doing it, and how we're doing it, even though it's completely wrong and, and, and does not line up with the Word of God. We're not ashamed of that any longer. And here he's saying, how is it that we cannot be ashamed to, to say some things that are negative or are wrong, but yet we're afraid to proclaim Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior? He says, if you truly want to understand discipleship, then you have to come to a place where you're willing to confess that. You're, you're, you're okay with going public with your faith, whether people agree with you or not, whether they like it or not, whether they support you or not. Uh, they, they, that, that's just, you might say, this is the way it is. If you're willing and committed to following Christ, that's what's so important. He says, don't be afraid to confess that. Let it become something that's a part of you. Jesus says that if you are a follower of mine, there should be no worries about being ashamed to confess him as your Lord and Savior before men. Because if there is, he says, if you can't confess me before men, then I won't confess you before the Father. Now, here's a question. If you were accused on your job of being a follower of Jesus Christ, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Or would you be innocent of all charges? You know, only you can answer that. Notice in verse 32 that I read, it says, if you confess me, Jesus said. He says, if you confess me, not confess God, but confess me. Because he's not talking about your belief in God right there. You see, when you say God, we don't know necessarily what you're referring to because there's a lot of gods out there. There's a lot of deities out there. And so you could say God, I believe in God. But, you know, it's kind of vague. But when you say Jesus... I believe in Jesus Christ. There is no more questions on the floor who you're talking about. You're talking about Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you're not ashamed. And you're not afraid to be able to confess Him. Um, <clears throat> when we wear our wedding rings, those of us that are married, you are publicly declaring your attachment to another. Now I know, I know right away some people are here like, Oh, Pastor, don't, don't get too harsh on me. I don't wear a wedding ring because of my job, the factory work, all that. I, I, I get that, but you get just for the illustration. That's why we do this, right? When you wear a wedding ring, we're declaring our attachment to another. You could be married and not wear your wedding ring. You could be married and no one would know that you're married, but you wear the ring to declare that you are attached to somebody else. You know, you could be married and not want people to know that you're married. So you try to hide the facts, and you take your ring off. It's not that you don't love them, but you, know, you take the thing off. The attachment, the confession, is us attaching ourselves to Jesus. Because a lot of Christians uh, are married to Jesus, they just don't want to wear his ring, if I can say it that way. They don't want people to always know it, because they're afraid, or they're scared. They, they don't want to confess and when you choose not to confess him as your Savior, you are ultimately denying him. And when you deny him, he denies you. You know, many times we get so worried and confused about this world and uh, trying to fit in, but we forget something very important. We're not from this world. You remember that? We're not of this world. We are kingdom kids, sons and daughters of the Most High God. There will be a day that when we die, we will go one of two places, right? And the plan is, is to be with him in heaven. But what's going to get me there? Your belief in God and the confession that he's your Lord and Savior. That's, that's what gets you there. You see, 
Unfortunately, today, people come to church to hear, you know, Jesus in secret, uh, because in church, there's not supposed to be any competition, right? Not supposed to be. You know, we, have to, we don't have to compete about, is Jesus Christ the Lord? And it, No, no, we're not doing that. Uh, everybody can agree that Jesus Christ is Lord. Uh, everybody here probably would not deny that Jesus Christ is Lord. We wouldn't be worried here in church about being rejected by the fact that we're declaring Jesus Christ as Lord, because everybody here agrees with the secret. Jesus Christ is the living God, the living Son of God. But are you willing to confess that, that secret? Are you willing to stand up and be proud of that? Let me ask you, ladies, let's say that you're heading uh, your husband, boyfriend, man, whatever you want to... Let's say he says, we're going to go to church, okay? Let's get going. But he tells you, let me walk into the church first because I don't want people to notice you walking with me. How would you feel about that? You feeling pretty good right about there? Oh, he just loves me so much. No, you're probably not, not going to follow him in there. Or, you know, I'll be doing a funeral, one of the two, right? Because <laughs> you can be like, you turkey? Mm. Now, would... I'm not going to ask that question. <laughs> we don't do that because we like, most days, the association of who we're with. But what he's bringing out in Scripture is, is, don't be afraid to draw near to me, to hang out with me, to have me in your presence, and you being in my presence. Because it's at the name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says, that every knee shall bow, and every tongue will confess. There's gonna, you're going to confess one way or another, whether you do it voluntarily or there comes that day where you can't help but just surrender and submit to the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord. I, I, was, watching a, uh, I was watching a video of a pastor who was talking about uh, the topic of Jesus Christ and how in this world today, most people, they, they don't want you to talk about Jesus. You can talk about God. You can talk about the Bible. And we'd really love it if you'd pray. But just, you know, don't bring up Jesus because that can be offensive. <laughs> oh, really? Well, what they didn't know is this pastor, this particular pastor, he doesn't back off or shy away to things like that. As a matter of fact, if you tell him not to do it, chances are he's going to do it. And so they, they, what they did was they invited him to the city council. And they said, we want to ask if you would come to the city council and pray for the city Council, please just don't mention Jesus. If you mention Jesus, they said, it could become offensive for some of the people that are on the council. And we want you to pray. Don't get us wrong. We want you to pray. But, but we, we don't want you to mention Jesus. So he went down there. And he got all prepared for his prayer. And I typed it up. He said this. Heavenly Father, I've been asked to come and talk to the city council about, uh, about the meeting today, and they ask me to communicate to you about the decisions that they are going to make. Therefore, I can only assume that they want me to reach you. You have made it clear that access to you only comes through Jesus Christ. First of all, I want to thank you for creating this city council, because if they were not alive, they could not serve. You said everything that was made was made by Jesus Christ. So I have to thank Jesus Christ for making them so that they can serve. 
I want to thank you for the government, he went on, because that is why they are here. And you said by Paul that government is to reflect you, the same apostle who met Jesus on the Damascus Road. So I pray that you bless them and their decision-making today. In Jesus' name, amen. (laughs) He had a few people that said, why did you do that? And he said, if you don't want to hear about Jesus, don't ask me to pray. Because he comes with me, and I go with him. Because, he said, my goal is to become a visible, verbal follower of Jesus Christ. Now you see how he, uh, he, he, he did it in a tactful way. He didn't go looking for a fight. They invited him in. But when people ask you, are you willing to declare, yeah, Jesus is my Lord. He's my Savior. He... I'm to surrender. We sang how many songs today with the word surrender in it? You surrender to a master. Somebody who is above you, who is created. That's Jesus. You see, we must be willing to confess Jesus. He has a job description, and I put it in the top of your outline there. Jesus has a current job description. His job is to ever live to make intercession for the saints, the Bible says. You know, in football, because we're in the middle of football season, so I seem to be using a lot of football analogies, but one of the jobs on the football field, if you did not know this, is whenever there's a run play and they give the ball to the, to the halfback or the running back, it's the job of the fullback to go in front of him and create a, a diversion. It's his job to run interference and knock people down that are trying to get to the halfback that has the football so that he can successfully uh, progress throughout the game so that he can potentially get a touchdown because that fullback knows there's an enemy coming at them. And so that's the job of the fullback. Well, Jesus's job is to run interference for you and for me because Satan is seeking to defeat you. He's seeking to overwhelm you. But you've got a blocker in front of you. But if you won't confess him, why should he block for you? If you won't confess him, why should he run interference for somebody who's going to deny he's even there? You see, if you confess me, he says, before men, I will confess you before my father. If you deny me in front of men, I'll deny you in front of my father. So everything I just said was kind of an introduction, okay? <laughs> just kind of setting the table so that I can tell you how it is that if we have the power to walk in understanding uh, confessing him as Lord and Savior, how he rescues us. Because here's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid that many of us, even as Christians, especially as Christians and believers who love Jesus and are saved by grace, don't understand what it means to walk in, in that avenue of discipleship or the power of confession. And that's why we stay stuck sometimes because we're not necessarily denying him, but we're not, we're, we're not walking in that avenue, that authority that Christ has given us, understanding the power that when we confess him, not just as our Lord and Savior, but we start confessing what his word says, it can come to pass. How many times have you heard people say the opposite? Instead of saying, you know, oh, you'll never make it, uh, versus you can do it. Big difference, right? Night and day. Um, How you use your words has a lot of power behind them. Whether you're talking, your wife's chilly, or you're talking about your future and the, God, the plans that God has for you. So 
Here's the thing. We have to understand how powerful this is. His word says that he will, uh, he, he will deliver us. Rome, I want to take you to Romans real quick. I put a verse in there. It's Romans chapter 10, verse 9. It says, if you confess me with your mouth, or if you, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved, Right? And, and, and sometimes I got hung up on this, and other people at times did too, because here's what I got hung up on. According to verse 9 that we just read, how many things do you have to do to be saved? Two. You have to confess and you have to believe, is what it says. But the problem I had with that, this is just me talking, okay, when I was studying and learning as I was growing, the problem I had with that is, is everywhere else I looked in the New Testament, it said I only had to do one thing to be saved. John 3.16, whoever believes in him will have everlasting life. Acts chapter 16 says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That keeps saying one thing. But then all of a sudden the Bible declares that if I want to go to heaven, you must transfer your trust to him. In Romans chapter 10 verse 9, it says you have to do two things. It says I've got to confess with my mouth and I have to believe in my heart. So either the Bible's contradicting itself or there must be a different meaning to this. Well, in Romans, the next verse, verse 10, it says, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. You see, we become righteous when we believe. And then he says, with the mouth confession is made. So I become righteous when I believe. He says, when you ask Jesus into your heart, he says, and you believe in him, he said, it's a done deal. He said, but now there's power in confessing him as your Lord and Savior. You see, what the problem is, or what looked like a contradiction to me, was I wasn't looking at the group of people he was talking to. It's his disciples. He says, you believe, but are you willing to confess me as your Lord and Savior? And it's the same question he asked you and me today. See, when you accept Jesus as your Savior, you receive righteousness, he says, but with the mouth confession is made with your public declaration, you are delivered. Here's what saved means. Saved means to be rescued or to be delivered. And I believe there's some people in the house today that could use some saving or rescuing from whatever whatever situation you're going through because I know life happens. You either had something going on that was a mess in your past, you're currently going through it, or it's coming down the pike because life happens. The question is, is who do you identify with? The world, your friends, your parents, your church, or your Savior? Who do you confess first? I'm not saying that any of those options were bad, but what's your priority in them? Are you willing to confess him as your Lord and Savior? And so back in, um, back in the Bible days, um, in Rome, Christians were brought before the magistrates. Uh, and they were brought before them because the, the Christians were running around declaring that Jesus was Lord. And the magistrates brought them in and basically said this. They said, um, no, Caesar is Lord. Because Lord, to be Lord means you're declaring who's the supreme ruler in authority in your life. They said, Rome said, we don't mind you calling yourselves Christians, okay? They said, we, 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 we understand, you know, you, you can call yourselves Christians all day and you can go to the temples and you can go to the synagogues, but when it comes to who's Lord in your life, Rome said, it's Caesar. Are you willing to declare that? And that's where the problem came in 
in the early church because they said, no, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And that's when things started to get really gnarly in the book of Acts. And the question still is on the floor today. We've got a world that's trying to tell us this is who you should follow. This is what you should believe. You think God understood what he was doing back then? No. And that's why we have so many questions about our identity today, because we've not declared him as our Lord and Savior, and we've listened to the world, and now we're so confused that we've come up with so many names, I can't even list them all about who we think we are. But I'm here to tell you today, there's going to be a day when you'll stand before Jesus, and it'll be very clear. Oh, I want to say some other stuff, but I don't think I should. <laughs> there is no confusion in the kingdom of God. When you stand before God, it'll be very clear whether you've been made a son or a daughter of the Most High God, period. And the question on the floor is going to be, who is it that you declare has supreme authority in your life. See, the people in Rome were trying to get the Christians to say, go ahead, have your Bible study. Go ahead, listen to you know, your, your Bible podcast. Go ahead, we, we, we don't care about that. Just as long as you declare Caesar is the Lord of your life. And they, they, they fought against that. And it's the same fight that we're experiencing today. Who is your supreme authority? Who is the master of your life? Is it Jesus, and are you willing to declare that? Because some people want to say Jesus is the master of their life, but they treat it like it's a genie in the bottle. I'll take him out when I need him, and he can grant me my three wishes. They think of him almost as Siri or Alexis. Hey, God, can you give me? There's nothing wrong with that. God loves to assist us. God loves to come alongside of us when he has that rulership in our life. And we're declaring him as our Lord and Savior. Here's the problem, and it's in your outline. We want a Savior. We don't want a Master. We want somebody in this world that gets us out of trouble, but we don't want somebody that's going to have lordship over our life. So what do we do with that? Romans 10.13 says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's as simple as that. You call upon his name, you are saved. And in the Bible, to call upon the name of the Lord was, was a specific activity for Christians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, it says, To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. So he said, I'm talking to sanctified saints. Uh, in other words, these are Christians who are calling on the Lord. So... So they understood the power of that. In Joel chapter 2, verse 32, it says, It shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible's very clear. And we're told to call upon the name of the Lord. And we find that he delivers us uh, from our enemy when he's the Lord of our life. So calling on the name of the Lord is evoking heaven to join you in history. That's what's happening. Accepting Jesus as Savior is getting deliverance for eternity. But calling on the name of the Lord is because you need some deliverance right now in, in whatever it is you're going through. He loves to show up. When you get saved, you're going to heaven. When you understand what it means to declare Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Master, you're walking in discipleship, then it brings heaven down here to earth and helps you with whatever it is you're going through, whatever it is that you're struggling with, whatever it is that you're facing. See, there's so much 
else that I want to say, but I want to get to this because maybe you're here today and you're saying, I'm in a mess right now. I want to know, okay, if I'm going to be a Christian walking in discipleship, declaring him as my Lord and Savior, how is he going to save me? How is he going to rescue me? How is he going to help me out of this mess? How, how is this going to happen typically? Well, I want, to, I want to bring it out of Isaiah chapter 40, okay? Isaiah chapter 40, and we're going to go right around the verses of uh, 31. We'll just stay there. And it says this. He rescues in three ways in this verse. It's a familiar portion of Scripture, but number one, write down eagle's wings, okay? And I know right now you're like, what? You told me how he's going to help me, and all you got for me is eagle's wings? But have you ever seen an eagle's wings? Have you ever seen them? Like close up. Uh, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31 says, But those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. An eagle will kick. What do you call a baby eagle? Eaglet? Whatever. Baby eagle. It will kick the eagle out of the nest. And when the eagle sees that the eaglet, if that's the right word, uh, is not ready to fly, the eagle will dive down and spread its wings and will swoop in and swoop down and catch the little baby bird and deliver that baby bird back to the nest. Sometimes that's the way God works. I don't know if you've ever experienced it, but I can tell you I have. I was headed for a Christless eternity. I was messed up. Remember, I grew up in a Christian home. I knew about Jesus. I knew about church, but it just wasn't personal. And I was in a mess. And the mess I was in, by the way, was a mess that I put myself in, okay? So it's not like, you know, life's been unfair to me. No, I was messing things up. And when I tried to get things right, I was like, Jesus, I need your help. And guess what? He showed up, and at one point, I know he swooped in, and he just protected me and covered me. One of the ways that he rescues you and me is by eagle's wings. Sometimes the way God will do that is delivering us out of the mess when he swoops down and he picks you up from your fall that you're heading towards. He'll swoop down before you hit the bottom, and he'll catch you, and he'll deliver you back so that you can learn how to fly. Sometimes he delivers you out of it so that you, all you can do is say, thank you, Lord, because I was done. I was at the end, and it's only because of your grace. It's only because of the eagle's wings that I'm here today. And, and, and that's one of the ways he saves. Here's the second way that he saves. Write down, when you run, you'll not grow weary. Isaiah, it's the same verse. He goes on and says, they shall run and not be weary. Sometimes, sometimes, he doesn't swoop down and lift you out of it. Sometimes what he does is he comes alongside of you and runs with you while you're going through it. Now, I don't know about you, but I like option number one so far. How about you? Okay? Jesus, if you could just swoop down and fix everything, and I don't have to worry about a thing, but careful because we're getting back to genie in a bottle mentality. You know, he's our savior. He will do that, but he wants relationship with us. And one of the ways he'll do it is he'll run with you while you're going through whatever it is you're running through. Whether you want to or not, whether you put yourself there or not, he will come and he will run with you. And you don't grow weary in the middle of your running. I don't know if there's any runners in the house. I ran for a while. My wife and I did a couple 5Ks, but I'm going back uh, like eight or 10 years. Um, and we would go and run, 
And every time, about the last mile or so, I was, I was done, right? I was just, this is so, I'm so over this. I felt good about myself at the beginning. I was like Rocky Balboa, Eye of the Tiger at the beginning. Dun, da, da, dun, da, da, dun, da, da, da. And then afterwards, I'm like dying in a pile. And uh, that's when a friend would come up alongside me. You know, you'd be running. You're like, <gasps> you got a lung hanging out your nostril. You know, you're dying. But then your buddy shows up. And all of a sudden he says, hey, you good? And you're like, yeah, <laughs> lying through your teeth, right? But because he's there, it, it gives you some strength. It gives you the ability to have some endurance to be able to go through and to finish the race. So we all know what it's like when somebody comes alongside of you and it just brings some strength to you. It brings some hope to you. And it enables you to be able to finish the race that is set before you. Sometimes that's the way he works. Yeah, sometimes he'll swoop down like eagle's wings and he'll snatch you out of that and say, that's my kid and you can't have him. And then there's sometimes where, why does God do it one way and then he does it the other? I don't know, because he's God. You can ask him when you get there. But sometimes God leaves me in the mess. Has he ever done that to you? I'm like, God, I'd rather you just fix all this, make it go away, wipe their memory. Let's pretend like this never happened. I wish I could do that. But sometimes he goes, no, no, no. He goes, you made this mess, but we are going to clean it up. And he comes alongside me, whether he holds my hand, puts an arm around my shoulder, has to put me up on his shoulders, whatever it means. And he walks with me so that as I'm running through it, I don't get weary, but I can get to the place. Either way, he's still our deliverer in that point, isn't he? Amen? Okay. Eagle's wings, sometimes he comes alongside of you. But then here's number three, sometimes it's when he changes you in it, whatever it is. So I ask you today, what is your it, okay? And I'm not talking about the movie. <laughs> what is your it? What is it that you're walking through that is just so jacked up right now? It's a mess. I can't figure it out. And I take you back to Michael when he said, just put your hands out with me. And I want you to think about what's that thing you need to surrender to God. Because there's times when God will show up like eagle's wings. There's times when he shows up and he runs with you in the midst of it. But ultimately, it's when he changes you in it, whatever it is, whatever you're going through. Verse 31 says, because they shall walk and not faint. They shall, they shall walk and not faint. He, he doesn't change the situation at all. I wish he would. I wish when I was in a mess, God would just make it all go away. How about you? Right? But sometimes he doesn't do that. Sometimes he leaves you in it. And then while you're in it, he changes you. You know, we always wish, why doesn't God just change all my circumstances? He can. He has the ability to do that. But what he's more concerned about is changing you in the middle of any circumstance. That's what it means to be a disciple. Because in this world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. You've got a Savior. My question to you today is, do you declare him? Is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? Because when you do, I love, I love the eagle moments, right? I love those. I don't deserve them. None of us do. But a lot of times he'll come along and he'll run with me. But his goal is to change me in the midst of it because he makes us, his, his goal is to make us look at things differently. 
And when God starts to change you in the middle of whatever you're going through, you start to view things differently. You start to treat the situation differently. You start to treat others differently. You start to treat yourself differently. And it's only Jesus that can give you the ability to change you in the middle of whatever mess you're going through. Here's the good news. It's available. You aren't too far gone. You haven't screwed it up so bad. It doesn't matter what you've done. You're never so far gone. Well, how do you know that, Pastor? Because you're breathing. And if you're alive, he has a plan. He has a purpose. See, any one of these three is a rescue. Sometimes he rescues you out of it. Sometimes he rescues you through it. Sometimes his rescue comes in changing you in the middle of it. But all three times he's right there with you. In other words, you don't have to face it alone. You don't have to, you don't have to face any of this on your own. If there's no other practical reason for becoming a disciple, this is it. To know that you and I have an eternal rescuer sitting at the right hand of the Father who's ready to join you in whatever mess you're going through because you made him Lord. Because you have surrendered yourself to him so that he is now free to express himself through your life and bring you the deliverance that you need. You know, somebody in here ought to be willing to open up their mouth and declare Jesus Christ as Lord and that he's their master and they're not ashamed to be associated with Jesus Christ. Why? Because those people who are not ashamed, he says, I'm there for them. But the ones that are, it literally ties his hands. I cannot I cannot be there for you. I cannot help you. I cannot change you. But I know somebody, we can say, that is on the right hand of the Father. And he knows how to leave heaven and come down to earth to lift us up, to lift us out, to run alongside, and to change us in the midst. So don't be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to ask as we close, if you'd just do this with me. If you're here today and you felt that tug on your heart or there's something where you're just like, ugh, that's me, but I, I don't want to say it. Don't be afraid. I'm not going to ask you to say it. I'm not going to ask you to do anything weird. But maybe you're here today and you're in the middle of a mess and you need to see him show up. And maybe today you realize, I, 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 I'm declaring that I believe in God, but I'm seeing today that I need to declare Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Maybe the reason I haven't seen something move in the middle of this mess is because it's not like I've been denying him. I just really haven't been fully embracing him as well. If you're here today, and I want to ask, would everybody just do this with me? Everybody put your hands out in front of you. And I'm going to pray that whatever that is, that you would just leave that at the feet of Jesus right now. And walk from here knowing that he's once again delivered us. Jesus, you know each and every person's heart here today. And Lord, that's why we put our hands out. We're surrendering to you today. Lord, I pray for every person here today that has been struggling mentally with the situations in life. For those that have been just, uh, struggling financially in relationships. They've been going through so many different mental health issues. Whatever that means, Jesus, you know it. And we're bringing it to you saying, Jesus, we declare today that you, Jesus Christ, are our Lord and Savior. 
And we're asking you today to come, Lord, in any way possible, whether you swoop down and deliver us, whether you run with us, or whether you change us, Lord, we're asking that at the end of it all, that we become more like you. So Jesus, heal us, help us. We love you so much and declare today that you are, you are Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen, church.